The AWS for Software Companies podcast, episode 25, Modern Data Strategies for Software Companies, featuring Fawaz Ahmed of Canva, David Meyer of Databricks, Boana Singh of Okta, Tim Armanpour of PagerDuty, and Barry Morris of AWS. everyone and welcome back to the AWS for Software Companies podcast, where we speak to software leaders around the world about their journeys to the cloud, overcoming obstacles, and the role that Amazon Web Services play in their success. Today, we feature a panel discussion from the AWS for Software Companies Executive Forum at reInvent, featuring software leaders from Canva, Databricks, Okta, PagerDuty, and AWS discussing modern data strategies for software companies. Hello, everyone, and welcome. Um, my name is Barry Morris. I think we've got an exciting uh, panel for you today. The topic is data strategy, and I've, I'm pleased to say that we've got a great panel with us today. So um, what I'm going to do is to ask everybody to introduce themselves, uh, to talk about, about themselves, their company, something about their data strategy, and we'll take it from there. So. With that, I'll pass over to Fawaz. Thanks, Barry. Welcome, everyone. Uh, my name is Fawaz. I'm a director of engineering and head of infrastructure at Canva. Quick intro for Canva. For folks who don't know, our mission is to empower the world to design, and data is a huge part of that, and excited to be here and talk about it. Hi, David Meyer, Databricks SVP product. Databricks is a data and AI platform to let you harness all of your data and give access to everybody in your company to build data and AI products. And we've been on AWS for over 10 years. Hi, everyone. I'm Bhavna Singh. I'm the CTO at Okta. Um, as you know, Okta primarily drives authentication authorization. The way we like to say, we are identity providers, identity platform providers. And uh, as part of that, we certainly ha are sitting on, and I think previous panelists said, uh, treasure trove data, a very unique data set, and certainly uh, this is a great conversation to have as how we have used it in past and, of course, how our strategy is changing to leverage it now and in future. So looking forward to this conversation. Thank you. Uh, hi, everyone. Tim Arminpour, CTO of PagerDuty. For those of you who don't get woken up at night, we are that company that does that pretty consistently. But we, we do pride ourselves in being able to help people go from uh, signal to uh, you know, action and resolution uh, reliably, proficiently, uh, as, as often as possible. We've been ingesting and um, having the, I guess, the, the privilege of having all sorts of machine data for the last 15 plus years. So I'd like to say we're still, feels like we're at the beginning of, of the journey, and hopefully this panel is going to help me figure out where, where to go next. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. You know, what we find talking to customers is uh, naturally there's a lot of excitement about generative AI. But if you keep talking to customers, what we eventually end up talking about is data strategy because that ends up driving a lot of people's future plans. And in particular, being about the data-driven organization, by which we mean the idea that every employee is making decisions based on data, whether they're uh, the delivery driver or the board director or whatever. And so that's really what we're trying to address today. And I'm going to ask the panel again to just talk a little bit more about their data strategy, about their experience with data, um, about what they've been doing over recent years and where they think they're going. If you could each spend a little bit of time just giving us a little bit of depth about your approach to data. 
Right. So data it has been at the heart of Canva, as well as AI and ML is in the DNA of Canva from, for, for many, many years. Gen AI has just added a, a huge spotlight onto it. So our data strategy hasn't changed as much. It's just what we're now choosing to focus on and highlight as capabilities and, and sort of bringing that forward. Um, and that is more around ensuring access, empowering everyone to design, means empowering internally all of our data and non-data specialist users access to the data that is safe, secure, compliant. So not everyone needs to think about, hey, can I do this or can I access this or not? And really doubling down on a data platform that helps everyone internal to the company uh, get access to data for training, for insights purposes, and actually leverage that in their variety of use cases without bottlenecking on, say, a central data function or a central data team. So, Fawaz, can you, can you think of, a, of an example of what you've just described, of a, an individual in your company that's using data in some way that, that's perhaps useful? 100%. Uh, I think a case that would come to mind for me is really, and this is a, a bit of a while ago before all of Gen AI, but it's a, it's a relevant example, where, as with many uh, product-like companies, we have a whole bunch of user analytics that is collected, is stored, analyzed, and all the rest of it a product idea or feature came up around, hey, we have a presentations uh, product. Why not let our customers also understand how often their sharing links are open, reviewed at, and get the analytics out of that? So again, doubling down on what I was saying earlier about having that data platform made it so easy to take that idea from let's leverage internal user analytics in a safe way, and to make sure we're not, it's anonymized, you know, we're not giving away any, any customer information, but enable that for our content creators and our you know, folks sharing on social media to have a look at, okay, when I share a Canva design, either on, on Instagram or a presentation or anything like that, um, I'm able to see how engaged that presentation is and learn from that. So leveraging data in a very product-focused way was, was, and that's why that, that sticks in my mind, uh, of turning what was an internal capability and had we not architected the right way would have meant potentially months or, or years of work to go, oh, now we have to go leverage it over there for an external audience. But repurposing the capabilities that we had with that central governance and, and safety layer um, made it really easy and we were able to, with, with not a lot of friction, give our customers that capability. David, I think um, probably of, of, of all of us, you're, you're the one that's kind of not only focusing on data-driven internally, but empowering your own customers to be data-driven. Yeah, yeah. We, you know, we have over 10,000 customers building things with Databricks, and it all kind of comes down to the initial ideas of Databricks, which if you're not familiar with the company, basically being able to use all of the data in place in what historically has been like a data lake, you know, cheap storage like S3, but enrich it with some structure so you can do data warehousing on top of it, do all of your data analytics on top of it. You don't have to have data warehouses in between BI clients and your data. And as a result, you have all of the personas operating on the data in place. So the, basically, the data strategy is don't move or copy your data because that'll lead to fracturing views of the data and staleness and high cost. Have unified governance over it so you know who can access what, and it's true in all the different persona tools. And build it in a way that's open and multi-cloud for optionality in the future because you don't want to lock yourself in. So that's been kind of the data strategy we've built products around, and we, <laughs> we do our best to do internally 
But, you know, I was making the joke backstage about cobbler's shoes, you know. You don't always do the right thing internally that you're helping all of your customers do because you're so focused on moving fast. But that's the general idea. Okay, very good. Bevna, what about yourselves? Okta. Well, um, you know, at Okta, we have always been focused on, on the data to provide and make some you know, meaningful decisions, primarily on the security aspects and compliance. But I would say there has been, you know, it's not that it's a big shift, but there has been shift that I would say call out to, so that I'm not repeating what the other panels, panelists are saying, which is, one, I feel there has been a certain expectation, or maybe us as a provider, we are driving it, which is, how can we be more real time? So how can we not just detect, but also provide the protection and prevention? And that in itself, in, uh, I would say, inflicts a lot of expectation, pain, you know, uh, uh, new challenges or, or new feature capabilities, but that certainly is one area. And as part of that, this is a, something that our realization, but also our partner companies, which now we are partnering very closely to see how we can provide that you know, threat detection and response capability more real time so that when we are working on these signals through all of our partner uh, community company in this space, we can actually log out, universally log out in a place if there's a threat detector. So that certainly is a capability uh, or one of the area that we are very actively working on uh, uh, and delivering. The other shift that I would call out is also low latency. So we are working on high volume, but also how we can drive that in low latency way. So, uh, you know, if, I'm sure we'll learn more here, but processing data at the edge, how much, how, where, that is certainly an area that we are very actively investing in. It's a new space, and so I'm here to learn more, if there's more to learn, of course, and I saw some sessions. But that's another area that you can see large volume, but how can we drive that with lowest latency possible? So that is two shift, I would say, is it with Gen AI or not? But just the focus that it has brought on the data, on the AI, I mean, AI was always there, but the focus it has brought and the more voices and the, the, uh, the strategy contribution that we are making, it certainly, I see those two areas as a slight shift. Tim. Um, I'd say PagerDuty, it's been, um, it's been evolving. I, I, strategy might be a generous term with where we're at, only because of um, how our product and platform has naturally expanded over the years beyond just the on-call management, the alarm clock that'll wake you up, but really being able to be in the business of attaching very rich situational context in real time every step of the way so that you know the, those that are responding to an incident or even the automation that's kicking in actually can apply the context and the context will shape shift as it goes through kind of the, the natural life cycle all the way to resolution and then being able to analyze after the fact, learn fast, and rinse and repeat. But where we've been most active in the last probably year or so is with um, trying to figure out how best to manage and deal with you know, aspects of like external factors like regulatory pieces, um, different markets like working closer with, with the federal market. We branched into that, which is for those of you who have gone there, you know it's so easy and so fun to, to, to play with, uh, with the Fed. Um, but you know, as that applies from an external perspective coming into internal, what's your strategy and policy and governance and frameworks around, you know, access, who should see what, when, who defines what confidential, confidential information is. I'd say we're like in a storming phase internally on that front, rationalizing, and every month something new shows up, like uh, Gen AI, for example. Yeah, I mean, Gen AI, like, 
Is it a thing? <laughs> I think it's a thing. But like in the, what you were just talking about, I mean, everybody is working on it, but not everybody, for example, has somebody from their legal team in the right room <laughs> yeah. to prevent you know, one-way doors and going through exactly. and leaking IP and things like that, which is why you know, this, this governance layer and everything and identity, knowing who's doing what, and when they're compromised, shutting them down immediately. All these things are tying together that we're talking about. And then the monitoring, just constant monitoring and reviews. Yeah. It's like it's a whole new practice and discipline muscle to build with respect to data. Even though I think industry has been saying, you know, data is the new oil for 15 plus years. Now it feels like it's all smacked us right in the face. Yeah. Uh, you know, the question I was going to ask about that is we're obviously on some kind of maturity curve. Where are we on that curve? You know, it's a journey. Are we completely on the hype end of it still? Or, or are you seeing Gen AI really happening around your own internal data strategies or indeed for your customers? I think it's as, as fundamentally shifting as the internet. We're at Databricks rethinking everything from like the lowest, lowest levels as to how would we design this understanding where Gen AI is going. Because so many dumb things take so much time that can be just totally collapsed with Gen AI. Um, but so I think that the, the hype cycle around like chatbots is in full swing. Um, and 90, like of a thousand things people are building right now, 0.1% will be in production in a year. Because they're all dumb ideas probably on average. But the, the fundamental way this is transforming everything we do, I think is colossally underappreciated. Because we don't know. We'll have to ask LLMs, imagine what LLMs can do. <laughs> it's just like, I think that it's just, it's foundational. But, I mean, I think that, the, so there's the piece of it, which is the potential and what could, you know, what, what it could do for, yeah. in the 0.1% or whatever it is. Um, but there's also just the question of, of, of what are people, what are you seeing people doing today around their data strategy that is, that is actually headed towards practical A value? very simple example. You all have tons of tables. You probably have a description in your catalog for less than 1% of them. You can click a button today and have a perfectly accurate description for every table with LLMs. It's dead simple. It's super cheap. It's instant. That's like... That's just like very simple and rudimentary. That kind of stuff is happening today and is provable. That to me is a lot more immediately valuable than some chatbot that people might not use. I want to plus one to something. Although first, let's not just diminish the idea of chatbot. It is very valuable, okay, <laughs> in many cases. But uh, we, we did agree that we will disagree on the stage. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's, uh, whatever you say, <laughs> I take the opposite view. Uh, but that said, um, I think there, there's another aspect of Genii also, which is when it started. And I remember six months back, I was on a, on a panel, and the conversation was, "Is it a hype?" And I think that has that is not the question anymore, which is everybody understands that it's a technology, it's real, and it is adding value. So the the concept of is it hype or is it still going to come or not, like that's gone. So it is certainly a technology, very valuable technology, and, and the add-on that I see from the chatbot is other areas of adding value, generalizing in many different ways. But imagine the time it saves for doing that very work for that group of people so that we can be more 
creative and, and smarter and, and use more intelligence somewhere else rather than the mundane stuff. Um, that in itself is such a big value add. But now, that's the today, I would say. But I think now we are also seeing in the Gen AI space, which is the next completely different category, I will say one of the CEO I met who's an early founder, he's using Gen AI technology to solve for calling patients and having conversation with them and helping them remind to eat their meds. I mean, that's a human or a nurse doing, and hence it's not a, a workforce that's available to everyone, but that's such a unique space for Gen AI to add value in such a less cost-effective way. So I do see there's a, lot, there's a trend that started with chat, co-pilot now, but it's moving into a very evolved and, and much valuable. So there, there, there's something, just real quick, there's something about what both you are talking about, which is the really attractive part of what we're experiencing, right? Which is like the fast start to a thing, right? To get from point A to point B is now faster than it was yesterday. But then how do you verify? How do you know that the meds are the right meds? How do you know it's the right patient? Um, we, like internally, like just like pretty much everyone here who says, oh, I'm going to use internal data to make a well-informed business decision, right? Well, everyone would love yet another chat interface to say, you know, what is the blah, 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 right? And then are you just going to trust it? Maybe yes, maybe no. And then, so what does that, that verification step start to look like and evolve like? Um, I think that's still one of those big unanswered yeah, that's, that's that you can't absolutely take for granted. Critical. But it's very, um, it's very romantic right now where because <laughs> everything word. should be 30% more productive, right? It'll help the engineers type 10 times faster on a keyboard, right? We'll get code out faster and it'll be all fine, but quite the opposite. So does, do, I, it totally makes sense. Um, does, that, does that lead us to a different way in which we manage our data? as a result, um, try, trying to address those kinds of issues, um, hallucinations and kind of just errors and things like that. How does that change how you and your organizations or how your customers are managing their data? For, for us, I, I don't think it does. And as I was alluding to earlier, I think it helps us or helps us, has helped us focus on doubling down on what we kind of knew was important and we're working towards anyway over multiple years. But now it's like, oh, this is a must-have. This is not we'll eventually get there. Like, we need this yesterday. Um, and, you know, my experience with, with, with Canva and really data being that enablement function um, and really democratizing that across all of engineers, non-engineers, data scientists, anyone really, um, and making that accessible, again, with that layer of safety, to, so they're not making those cognitive decisions at all because, yes, that would make the lawyers very unhappy uh, if, you know, if every other person was trying to figure that out, especially marketers. But they don't need to do that because that layer is built in. And the more you democratize, and as folks are saying, the more you find these novel use cases that maybe we wouldn't even have thought of, right? Where you have folks who are non-engineers trying to you know, use LLMs to, to generate code, to ideate on things. Um, and that's where the real power is going to kick in. And, and as we're, I think we're agreeing on this one, we're not quite sure yet what, what that future might look like, but we're, we're on the precipice of it. Yeah, I, I think it's really use case dependent. I mean, for example, um, if you're describing a database table, if it's wrong, it's probably not the end of the world. It's probably just frustrated an analyst, you know? If you're prescribing the wrong med, that's really serious. And you can use these different techniques of retrieval augmented generation and vector embeddings and stuff to say what takes precedence. But I think the key to any systems we're building 
is they get better as they're used. And, and for example, if it gives the wrong answer, someone thumbs down and it gets better and it learns very fast. It can do that very, very fast at scale. It's remarkable. And the fact is that people hallucinate. I mean, people send me data that's wrong every week because they wrote a crap query because they didn't understand the schema. You know? Yeah, yeah. And I've done it. I've stood by data that was wrong. So it's not unique to this technology. It's probably better than humans most of the time, even when it's hallucinating. But, but I think it really depends on the use case. And you can, you can train models on you know, more and more prescribed data sets for higher risk areas where you know exactly. Like, you can't have a black box. You have to have the traceability so you know how, where the answer came from. Yeah, yeah. And I think to add to that, um, which is the next step, as, as you know, we, we were talking about, which is, yes, we, we leverage what we could leverage from just calling an API and throwing in the response. Now the, the, the work starts, which is how do you improve the relevance? How do you make it understand your, you can say, industry, or even more of your space so that you're answering more accurately and more succinctly, let's say. So that's where the work of you know, embedding starts, uh, all of that, you know, uh, vector storage is another conversation that's evolving, vector databases. And of course, um, uh, the categorization. So our model, as we are working on it, the embedding model would be different for tenant security or how to make sure that your tenants are secure versus guiding you to say that what right low-code space that you should use from our marketplace so that you can extend your code without writing the code. So those are, those are different, as, and they can't be just generic to say, you know, what does Okta do? Like, yeah. So yeah. that's where the work is starting. Yeah, maybe just to quickly add on, on, on one thing David said, because we've seen some interesting trade-offs there of four very specific use cases where you try and fine-tune and, and train a model. You kind of, you, you, to the detriment of the eye of AI, it becomes less intelligent because you're guiding it down a, a very set path. Yeah. So, it's, so it's an interesting balance of you, yes. you don't want hallucinations, but you don't so also don't want to overtrain or overfine tune. Yes. So you're not getting any of the intelligence out. Yeah. It's like, well, a human could have like done that, right? Yeah. We're not really getting the value out of it. So it's an interesting trade-off, not solved yet. Like we're still looking at those challenges, but interesting domain. So just to kind of switch um, switch feet a little, um, you know, one of the things that that you'll see um, AWS doing a lot of around data is. Um, is, is, is integration types of things. And you know, um, really, you've probably seen us talk about zero ETL and you know, kind of moving transactional data into analytic systems of all sorts, our own and third party ones. And that's, um, and that's very much a kind of a trend. Um, and, uh, and I was just wondering, as relates to that, those sorts of investments, how, how do we prioritize those as against all of the other high priority things that we're trying to do? Do you have, do you have thoughts on that from your own experience? Um, maybe I'll start. I think, <clears throat> first off, I think Canva, like our business, is in a fortunate position where, yes, macroeconomic trends have shifted, but we're still able to, to, to be successful. Um, but that said, it, it, we didn't get that for free, I guess. Um, we've been on this data platform journey for many, many, many years, and that has meant that reacting now was not a 180, it was a maybe three, four degree shift. Um, and that's really where, for, for me and, and how our organization operates, um, that's where this, the secret sauce, if you will, comes from of 
as the macro environment, any business shifts, they will happen. But if you've got the foundational layer of the core capabilities, data domains clearly identified, clearly articulated, and, and have the building blocks available for folks to leverage in a different way, um, it's just putting them together in different configuration, and you can get the outcomes. Very underselling it, because it's much easier said than done, but it is possible, and that's what's helped yeah. us in, in the recent yeah. environment. Tim, did you have a view on this? Yeah, um, it's, it's hard, um, because there is the, the immediate term and the long term, and you're always playing that, that balance. It's a, it's a great, healthy tension to be in. Um, but I think what, what we're trying to center on are, there's like two faces to it. One is there's the, the, the external side from, let's say, a product platform perspective, right? And we've been definitely hyper-focused on, again, think about like the rich situational context that can stay literally in context the entire way. So, you know, uh, you know analysis, insight, action can scream through the product experience and all of our customers see all the value they get for every dollar they put into pager duty. Everybody wins with that, but, you know, a lot harder <laughs> to, to really make that consistent. On the internal side, where we do rely heavily on, you know, data from all kinds of disparate systems, let alone probably our 12 different types of, you know, databases we have in the production environment from a product perspective, but then internally from all the various data sources. In order to be able to make, you know, day in, day out, week in, week out, really well-informed decisions, um, that's where we've been really focused on the last two years. Um, you know, big thanks to take products like Databricks that create these fantastic auto bonds to connect things to. Um, <laughs> yeah, I know. He's, he's, appreciate that. The Venmo came through. Um, the, uh, but you know, from a when you think about like from a from a prioritization perspective, like we don't. When I was talking about it's evolving for us, we don't necessarily have a data strategy. We have a strategy, and we think you know we believe that data is a core component of that strategy, and it does ebb and flow in terms of where where dollars or time and effort and we put in. The the biggest challenge we still face is so we got all this data. And then now what? And then we start pointing to, oh, do we have the right governance? Do we have the right policy? Do we have the right guidelines that can help people do their jobs well? Because what we also find is that we get in our own way. Because it's almost That's like we want to over, um, over-rotate on like, the policing of it Yeah. versus, okay, what, if we think about it from like, a threat model-based perspective, what are the threats in play? How do we combat that? How do we work backwards from that scenario? Um, that's been you know, the last, call it, six to 12 months of, of focus trying to make that a little more fluid. Yeah, I think for us, it's a combination. I think, you know, some areas certainly get a lot more attention than any other area, and that's just a universal truth. But I think the areas that, that are getting a little bit more attention now is primarily because they're adding a customer value. So taking your own example, Tim, which is uh, if it's helping customer make a certain decision, um, a simple example in terms of how do we close a certain upsell, you can say, is customer, should you buy MFA versus adaptive MFA? Yeah. Here's the data where you, know, you, you have MFA, but maybe it's a friction, and how do you become more frictionless so that your user flow is just yeah. you know, smooth? Fewer challenges, exactly. fewer wake-up calls at night. You know. So showing them through data kind of allows them to say, okay, there's a value add. You know, a little bit more money has yeah. a value add. And that's a great way to bring focus to that area of work versus um, you know, just generally improvement. But, but the other aspect I would say is just to drive AI work forward, there's a lot of, you can say, a lot is a subjective word, but housekeeping that had to be done and is to be done. 
Um, I, I hope you know uh, that's something that everybody would understand. And for, as part of that housekeeping itself, we, I feel personally, I think that attention, I, I, I see that as a positive, which is we have, many of us, many organizations have really improved their posture on data as part of that to, to ensure that the AI work goes out smoothly. Sorry, David, you were trying to say. Oh, no, no, that was, I mean, I agree with everything people have been saying which is strange for me. But the, uh, <laughs> I think one of the, you know, so there's so many opportunities for Gen AI LLMs, and it's hard to figure out how to stack rank them, right? And you can look at ROI, I think, on the back of customer value is always important. But I think the hardest challenge for organizations, especially product organizations, is there's big, expensive things you're doing now, which will, in retrospect, be dumb because they'll be irrelevant in two years. Like, you know, everybody in the room uses BI clients, you know? And there's complicated queries behind the dashboards and you look at them every day and you get excited and you wanna build more and more dashboards. But will people even be doing that in two years? You know, when you can interface with all this information in a way that doesn't include DAX queries, you know? It's so like, yell at Alexa. What's that? Why doesn't Alexa tell me the answer? <laughs> no, exactly. And we, we, that's, that's not far-fetched yeah, anymore, I, right? I agree. But I think the hardest thing is understanding, you know, you want to go where the puck is going, but you don't know how fast the puck will get there. And you're going to make some big decisions, you know, that might end up being, you know, too ahead of your time or too behind your time in your company strategy. So I think that's the big... Every product company is wrestling with that. Perhaps a, a quick question um, is <laughs> good luck. Uh, just around, yeah, good luck. Um, let's see if we can do one of those. Um, is, uh, is, uh, we've got a lot of software vendors in the room, and the, the question is, do, does the panel think that providing insights to your customers is of sufficient value that you can actually monetize that as part of your business? Depends on the customer. <laughs> yeah, Depends and, on the customer. Like, and the inside, too. And the inside, and too, the 100%. Inside. It's like, Especially yeah. if, if the, the data is so unique that only you can provide insights, that is a very valuable insight. Where else will I get it? But if the data is available and you're just aggregating and providing insights, I'll question it because that, I don't know how long that business has life, too. The other way I would also say is, um, is insights are key, especially in Octa's case, it's the way we close business or upsell or, or you know, drive value to our go-to-market to kind of bring that you know, uh, uh, customer understanding to adopt a certain technology. And, and the more the complex technology or the platform, it's, data can be hugely valuable to kind of help customer understand the value of your offering, let's say. So insights are valuable in those cases. Uh, I mean, I think it's just a, it's, it's, it's an important question because investments in providing insights that don't actually return anything in the P&L, you know, is, uh, is, is harder to do than if you can but, actually Yeah, but why, that, why create design. an insight that then someone has to understand? I mean, it can be great for high-level understanding, but also it can just make your product better. Like, make your defaults intelligent, you know? The insights can just show up in removing pain from your customer, and then they'll buy more of your product. I think, I think make your defaults real defaults. Like yeah. That, that, <laughs> let's start there. But that yeah, yeah. yeah. hyper-personalized defaults. True. Yeah. So just to talk about um, 
We, I think we said, we said earlier that uh, being data driven is about getting the right data to every decision maker, which is every employee, at um, the right time, right place, and, and so on, the right form. And that's not necessarily easy to do. Um, and I was just wondering kind of what you're seeing that it takes to deliver that and what kinds of changes that there might be in the technology stack that would enable that. Um, sure. Um, I think that the data-driven kind of like the like the thing to actually live and breathe inside your your company it, it's it's a hard thing to achieve because I think like what we're seeing from a lot of our customers now is more and more uh, I'd say almost since many of you are probably customers of Pagey uh, curiosity around what exactly are you doing with the data where's it going who has it how long are you going to have it for and it's borderline now it's bordering between you know healthy like inspection and interrogation. Right? So it's hard to know exactly like, what's, um, what's justified right now and kind of where we're at, I think. Um, you can have best intentions, but that doesn't matter if it gets in the wrong hands or you, know, you get something else that goes sideways. Um, what, what we're finding a lot of is, from an internal perspective, there's different like, tiers of accessibility that should be tolerated and accepted and um, provided. Um, and some of that, you know, general accessibility with, with a fantastic static report and dashboard, great. You want to slice and dice a little more, you want to be able to have a little more um, flexibility with it, that, that's for a different business need. And we, we've definitely gotten better about um, documenting, you know, um, in, you know it, I guess in a way influencing, but then also um, inspecting and correcting on all those fronts. But it's, it's not easy because we have people in all parts of the world also, and different countries have different rules. Um, some, I, I, like the CIO org reports up into me, so I get to deal with the fun internal systems. And some part of our company will spin up a 30-person consulting crew with random laptops all of a sudden <laughs> trying to access it. They complain, why don't they get access? So it's, it's challenging and, and on a good day, it feels like right now. And, and you know, maybe in some way it should be that way, and, and you know, some aspects should be challenging so that the access is understood and, and really the right kind of access is provided. So I think in our space we call it the right friction is good, but the, the, in the wrong places it can be painful and it's wrong. So look at you know, what, what are the places where it's friction, but it's unnecessary, it's unwarranted, and, and it's actually not solving for your productivity improvement. Um, uh, and that's where we are. So at Okta, we, we look for, or I look for, providing more of the data in the hands of our product managers and all of those folks, engineers who are, or, or go-to-market folks who are trying to kind of make decisions, but at the same time, the access control is different, and it takes a lot of effort to make sure that the right access control is in the right place. Does that, does that in, uh, involve different technologies, integrations, yes. kind of, you know, yeah, I mean, I think whatever it is. You need, you need a governance layer that can control access to all of your data, right? That's just kind of table stakes. Um, and there's various architectures, you know, I have opinions um, for that. And, and the fact that we provide many of those layers that leaves me with no excuse to not use those. Yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. <laughs> but then, like, here's the thing. There's tons of people in your companies and your customers who they don't know where the data is. They don't know who to ask the question of the data. They don't have the data. They're making stupid decisions every day because they don't have the data. So the, the trick, I think, is to get the data 
where they naturally live. Like, get it natively in their workflows so it just shows up there. But you have to be careful, because, like, especially with LLMs and, and like, for example, um, we have the system that tracks all the revenue of all of our customers. So it'd be very easy to build an LLM where any employee could accidentally be an insider. You know? But, so you have to, but you can solve that with the proper governance layers and just bring the right people into the room to think about those things. But the key is, you can't be too afraid. You know, there's like this uh, large bank in Australia that's gone full gen AI for all their tooling. And I'm like, but you're a bank. <laughs> you're a bank. And they're like, but the risk of doing nothing far, far outweighs the risk of making a mistake and fast correcting it. So have the disciplines and the teams to be able to, you know, move fast and fix things. Not say break things, but fix things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because I think the biggest risk is people don't have the data to do their job, and your company will suffer as a result, and people will be afraid of Gen AI, and your company will suffer as a result. I, th I think it's not an option. You, you yeah. can't yeah. be afraid with Gen AI. You can't be afraid with this technology. It's here, it's growing, and it's moving really fast and adding value very fast. So it just can't be. If, if you are a modern, innovative technology, you just can't be. Yeah, and, and maybe just to just add a little piece on it, I think it's the same with any technology, new thing that comes around, that, that there's a bunch of uh, security gates, so that we like to call them, of yes, probably 80% of your business can have this layer of data, no problem. Yeah. It's internal, it's confidential, everyone gets it, right? Uh, but then you've got the layers of like, oh, when you talk about PII, that's a whole different ballgame. You talk about revenues, you're talking about that's a whole different ballgame. Um, and as long as you're making that democratization with that in mind, what the layers are, what the personas are, who's allowed to get what, and in which tool, um, and make that intuitive and easily understood, the next dimension being make the tools easily understood and, and you know, cloud data warehouses, you know, all uh, a whole bunch of SaaS and serverless tools are all available, makes it really simple. But without that layer, you, you can't have one or the other. Like, you've got to have that, those security gates in place, have the right tooling, make it intuitive, um, and let people do awesome things. Okay, now it's time for me to put you all on the spot. And so the, quest, it's, it's, the question is predictions. So we've talked about all this fantastic data stuff and Gen AI stuff and so forth. Whoever wins and, uh, gets what? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, would we come back next? Is it a one? How far out was the? Uh, yeah. you, you, you can pick that. I think. I think the, the winner gets some water. <laughs> all your meetings at the same hotel. <laughs> That's better. Next go. year, not now. <laughs> so, Tim, do you want to kick us off? Um, Prediction, predictions for the next few years or the next decade or whatever you want to do. Yeah, I. I think. I think there's going to be a reckoning between um, what. What kinds of, uh, you know, you think about like that, the chat and the bot interface, like the ratio of that to all the workflows these things can manage. There's going to be some kind of rationalization and reckoning around. There's going to be probably like a top 10 that'll just permeate and be pervasive across every company, almost like kind of like how the magic of the cloud has now become pervasive and permissible everywhere, um, where, you know, to David's and everyone's earlier point, finding that balance between, you know, too much stranglehold too little, that pendulum's going to swing a bit. And so I think we're all just going to get a lot better about knowing faster where it needs to lie so that you know, it's, it doesn't become an impediment to the business or to the customers um, or the work getting done, but it actually shows up more and more as an ally more often than it is today. I'll add, um, 
that um, apart from, I think we, as technology company, we focus too much on engineering being productive. I think overall, as human, we, are, we will get way more productive and we are seeing the value of it with this technology in different ways. I mean, just the fact that I can understand terms and conditions and agreements of what I'm saying I agree to without having to read it, um, way better uh, uh, you know, uh, state uh, than before. So I think as human, we will be more productive and that in itself is a value add. Going further down, I do feel that we have seen chatbots and capabilities around that. I do see something more transformational to come out of this technology uh, to help us make more, I would say, decision, decision making that otherwise needs, let's say, human brain power. I think more and more it will shift into what more can it do? Not just mundane, not just the, you know, the playbook and whatever, but more into the decision making as well is what I am predicting, given the latest news I read about OpenAI, but hey, that's enough. Yeah, so I'll go more specific in that direction. I think in the next 18 months, there'll be a mind-blowing advancement in medicine driven by Gen AI that no one could have predicted. Wow. Well. <laughs> I thought you would name the medicine or the... <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> Humans can't do it. Okay. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah, for me, I think, look, the, the prediction-wise, if I look at current state of Gen AI, the, the, the biggest hurdle isn't the technology, it's the prompt with a blank blinker right there of, like, you, you can give it to a million users, and I think that is the biggest, biggest hurdle of... So now what do I do? Um, and... and Canva where it is and being such a product-led company that focus on, focuses on the user experience and making, giving them that kickstart so they can do whatever they want, I think that, that is going to be the transformational change that, shameless plug, we're, tar we're trying to get to, uh, of essentially being that, look, you, you don't need to think so much. Here's what's available. Here's what's possible. And have the, the technology, Gen AI, machine learning models, all of the buzzwords like you can throw in there at the end make that part of the furniture. Um, so users aren't thinking about it, they're going about doing what they need to do, and it's so well integrated that they're not actually thinking or caring, as they shouldn't, because they're users. They need to yeah, get should, a AI job should be invisible. AI should be invisible. So, so that's, the, that's the world I want to see, and that's where we're, we're trying to get to, as my prediction. Well, with that, I just want to thank the panel. Thanks so much for all, all of your wisdom on, on the topic, and, uh, and thank, thank you for joining thank us. Thank you, man. Thanks for hosting. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks for coming. Thanks again for listening to the AWS for Software Companies podcast. For more conversations with global software leaders, subscribe to this podcast in your podcast app of choice. And please feel free to share these episodes on LinkedIn or other social media. Thanks again for listening.